Good morning. It's good to be together. We miss a number of you who assume we're streaming. I hope you're getting to be with us at least that much. Open your Bible to Paul's letter to the Colossians. Um, in chapter 1, we continue... passage uh, this Lord's Day is chapter 1, 9 through 14. Hear the voice of our God. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his gracious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Pray with me, please. Father, this passage is, is so rich. Um, and I ask for my work that you would, Lord, please give me freedom and simplicity that we would hear and understand. Father, work out your ambition with us. Work with us as your son deserves. We pray in his name. Amen. So we began with Colossians last week, and I put to you that this letter really is occupied with, with one simple question, a disturbing question. These believers in Colossae, they were confronted with this. Are you a good enough Christian? And, and that's a question that, that sits down with us easily. This is a question that actually is very common. Are you a good enough Christian? Christian. And last week we looked at how Paul, he writes to them, and Paul knows the issues. He's writing very purposefully, and his first, his first words are not to answer the question, but to give thanks, to give thanks for God's work among them, because he sees, he's heard, he has reports from Epaphras who've been among them so he sees these indications of God's work among them. And it's very important to realize that, that he's looking at indications, not qualifications. An indicator, that, that, little red, that, that, that little red slash on my dashboard that says, oh no, I'm empty, I'm <laughs> of gas. That, that's an indicator that if it's broken, and I may not know, but it has nothing to do with how much gas I have. A qualification is, is that license that you have in, in your pocket. 
that says, you can drive this thing. Yes, you can. You're allowed to. You've demonstrated that you have the wherewithal and the capacities. And Paul, he prays giving thanks because of these indicators that he sees among them. And he prays because those indications, they demonstrate their qualifications. He doesn't answer that question, are you a good enough Christian Colossians? He, he prays, giving thanks for God's work among them. Now, that, that, that question, it, it can tilt you sort of two ways, and I'm, I'm not claiming these are the only sort of angles, but they're important ones, and they're ones that in my 30 years as a Christian, I've observed things tilt one way or the other. Confronted with the question, are you a good Christian? One common response is a kind of complacent caution. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm a Christian. And I I need to be careful. Like, I don't want to... There are things I shouldn't do, and there are things I need to pay attention to, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in. Complacent caution. And on the other hand, a kind of anxious activism. Good enough Christian. Well, I need to be a good enough Christian. I mean, I need to be. That's important, and, and I, I don't, um, am I? Well, I can be a better Christian. And I need to be a better Christian. I'm going to get to work on that. I'm going to do that. And this complacent, complacent caution, this anxious activism, that's not how Paul responds to the question. And I want you to think about this. Faith in Christ will not make you complacent. And faith in Christ will not make you anxious. The Lord, because of who He is, you will find yourself leaning on those everlasting arms, that sense of peace. And and you will find yourself sometimes very concerned, have a sense of urgency, but things are basically okay, or there's 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 a basic fear No. Paul, he writes to the Colossians and he's calling you to a ambitious thankfulness. And I don't want to just play with words, but ambition and thankfulness. That's what you see Paul expressing here. And he's expressing it. You could say he's modeling it. And it is a good model, but but he's not being manipulative. He's for real. He's talking about his prayers. And his prayers are ambitious and thankful. And your life, rather than anxious, rather than complacent, your life can be, should be, this thankful ambition. Paul, he's reporting his prayer. He's talking about his prayers. And he says, and so from the day we heard We've not ceased to pray for you, asking that. Now, this is the second time in this introduction he said, I've been praying a great deal for you. I've heard about you. I'm so excited. Paphras has told me about how you've come to faith, and we've been praying for you. 
And what he said before was, whenever I pray, I give thanks. And now he says, I don't stop praying, I ask. It's pretty simple. You give thanks for what you have. You ask for what you don't have. He's thankful for them. And in the midst of that thankfulness, he thinks, wait, there's more they need. And, and this essentially, this essentially is, is the beginning point of how we see this is ambition. And, and, and that word ambition may, may, may not quite be a clean word in your mind. Ambition. Um, it's simply a strong desire to achieve something. Uh, we think of the word in terms of the phrase political ambition. You think about what that is. That's some guy, some lady, some person, some individual who's maybe important to a few people and they go off and they do a few things or they, they're successful. But their ambition is to take what they've learned and their success and to make it useful for their whole community. To take what they had in hand and others recognize and for it to become a payoff for many, many people. That's ambition. Um, you take this little and you want to make more of it. Uh, financial ambition. You, you scrape together and you work and you, you save and you got this, this 5K in the bank. What can I do with that 5K? I mean, I can spend it, but, but, but I've scraped it together. How can I make it bigger? How can, can I turn this into a, a business for my community? Can I employ other people? That's ambition. You take what you got and you try to turn it into a lot. And that's what Paul is praying for. And I, I, I don't know, I want to set up some fireworks. I want, to, I want to figure out how on earth can I express to you just the grandeur and the invigoration of what Paul is doing here. Now, Paul is writing to people who have come to faith recently. It's not totally clear. Is it three months, six months? But it's a new Christian community. And when they came to Christ, it really was from black to white. None of these people have the experience that some of you have, which is, I remember no time when I didn't know Christ. Some of you are like me, like, oh, I remember and I'm fear some other people remember that too. And I came to Christ, and um, wow, I remember it was exciting, and, and, and the transformation of those years. And, and then there's been seasons. And you are each at different points with different experience. Um, you know, you may have been a Christian a long time, and this is sort of a sad way to put it, and been discouraged for a long time. But, but been a believer and, and, and taking comfort in the Lord, but because of the Christian community that you're familiar with, you've sort of just assumed that, I don't know, we go to church once a week, and this is true and important, but... I, um, Tepid. And I, I want you to see that Paul assumes that the people he's praying for, they don't have much. 
Wait a second. He's giving thanks for so much. But look at what he prays for. So extraordinarily, over the top. And so I want you to, to, to be faithful to this text. I have to look at you and say, look, you're called to ambition. Start with what you got and seek from the Lord that it become a lot. And that's real. That's not some sort of charlatan, um, you know, smoke and mirrors. We're going to make your religion be really, really, you know, manic. And imp- no, it's, it's, this is realistic. You, Christian. And I know, I think that the Apostle Paul has a strong doctrine of sin. Like, I think he knows about this, this phrase, dead in sin, and, and that, 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 that fit all of you. And he, I think he maybe expressed it most clearly, said that we have been raised with Christ. And so I, I, I want to rouse you to take hold of and be ambitious as a Christian in the way that Paul lays out here. We've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be. And then we have this really rich uh, sentence. It's all one uh, interwoven beauty in the way Paul expresses it. But to, to break it down, he, he says he prays for three things and uh, put labels on it. He prays for a filling and then a fulfillment what comes out of something and when it comes to its full expression. A filling and a fulfillment. And then this is a tree metaphor. It's in, it's in Paul's language. A tree, like, a, like a, an oak tree or an apple tree. He, he, he prays that there would be a filling and a fulfillment and then foliage. You know, there's, there's stout and supple limbs and, and uncountable leaves and... and, and and there's a blossom, and, and you reach out and you pull off a piece of fruit. It's a, it, there's a majesty to it. And, and, and really, he speaks of glory. He speaks of you. Y- you! <laughs> um, that you would become this arresting beauty. Like Isaiah spoke of oaks of righteousness. Now, I'm, I'm, uh, to understand this, this ambition, we'll kind of work backwards. We'll, we'll start with, with the branches. And, and notice, so it works like this. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. I'm asking for that, he says. Verse 10, so as to walk, you're filled so as it has this result, to walk. And then we get these um, four, well, in the English expression, they're I-N-G. Bearing fruit, increasing in, being strengthened, giving thanks. Those are the branches. Those are the things that you notice when when you're driving down the road and look at that tree and you're like, wow. And this really, Paul's praying for this, and rightly you seek this realistically, that your life would become qualified by giving thanks to the Father. That that, that, that become ordinary. 
that you become so aware of his gifts. And you see how Paul's entire logic here, when someone brings up the question of, are you a good enough Christian? You go, well, let me think about what God has done. And that, that gives thankfulness. It, it causes you to give thanks. But also, there's another branch here, uh, this filling and its fulfillment, it becomes expressed in being strengthened with all power. Okay, that sounds like um, that's superhero talk, you know? Uh, strengthened with all power, like Captain America. What happened to that shrimp? He was strengthened. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So in you, and it sounds like it'd be like this, this throbbing heartbeat, you know, like, like 30 beats a minute, kind of, boom, boom. You're being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. The strength of God itself shows up in your pants, in you, you're walking around. This filling and this fulfillment makes you able to endure endure hard things for over and over. And, and that's impressive. And some of you, I think of, um, I think of Lauren and, and, and I think of Charlie. We know some of you. We've watched you enduring like that. That's impressive. It is. You have God's strength so that you endure. And not only that, and maybe this is more impatient, more, more impressive, Patience. Endurance is for things. Patience is for people. <laughs> and, and, um, and I've seen some of y'all do that with me. You're like, all right, Ben. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. You said that dumb thing. And, and that really is, that's the strength of God. That, as he says, your life becomes characterized by a joyful endurance of difficulty and patience with ordinary people. And that's real. That's not some extraordinary uh, over-the-horizon thing. And you may not have much. You've just barely got. But this rightly is what you pray for and seek. This is realistic. When someone asks, are you a good enough Christian? Wait a second. Look at what I'm called to. Look what I'm offered. Look what is mine to be this. And I, I put the word on you. you need to, this, you, it's going to seem like he can't say that to me. For you to have majesty. For you to have that joy and a strength. A glorious might. That filling in its fulfillment produces uh, this thankfulness, this abiding strength. But also, we get this double phrase, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. It's, it's interesting, that double phrase, bearing fruit, increasing. That's the language Paul used to describe the gospel in the, in the, the previous paragraph. He talked about the gospel that's bearing fruit in all places and increasing. And what the gospel is doing in places, it's doing in people. Um, you rightly 
you rightly seek that. This is what ordinary, anybody, Christians, they don't necessarily have it. That's why he's asking for God to give it. But, but, but it's yours. We pray for that. We seek that. It's not like, man, you know, I wish I could be one of the people that does that. You are. You are bearing fruit in every good work. Now, we'll get to a list of good works and particularize later, but I just want you to, 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 I want you to reach out your hand and grab onto this. Your business is doing good stuff. Your business is God making you like himself and that showing up in particular moments, in particular situations, with particular actions in your work, in your neighborhood, in your family. And look, we all get our food from a grocery store. You go to a garden sometime. You go to someone's garden and, and, and pick up some tomatoes and some, get some string beans and hold them in your hand and you realize this is not just groceries. I mean, we'll call it food, but my gosh, it's an ordinary wonder. And, and that is what the gospel does. This is the, this filling that he prays for and its fulfillment has this foliage, just this, this more than I can really keep up with, all the details, goodness. That you would be bearing fruit and increasing the knowledge of God. And that, that phrase, knowledge of God, um, we're going to talk about the knowledge of his will in a second, but the knowledge of God, that really is personal. That really is the kind of interactive, even we can use the word intimate idea of knowing that Scripture has. And, and, and really, as, as, as you're filled and that comes to its fulfillment, what you seek and what you grow into is living back and forth with God. Which can sound kind of, ooh, weird, he's hearing, no, not hearing voices. Knowing God and Life, your business, becoming a thing where praying and remembering, seeking from God and receiving, that that becomes ordinary. And that's amazing. That's amazing. You know, we can see that ah, people are dead in their sins and it's distressing and, and, and bewildering. But, you know, you can see these are those indicators. You can see that people are alive in Christ. You really can. And you can see that people live with their father. That they, and this is the word that, I realized I was going to pause and use it, and I was like, no, this is the right word. They live with godliness. I was going to pause and use it because it's, it's, a, it's a word that almost like piety, like, that's a weird religious word. Now, godliness, because that's what these branches are. They are people who live like God has called them to live. And they live that increasing knowledge of God with God. Not just, as we could say, like him, imitating him, but with him, knowing him. Now, this is just the foliage. And, and, and 
And I'm a little concerned because typically I can say these things and, and Christians would go, wow, I wish I could do that. That's a good place to start. You have, in all that you have to give thanks for, you have every reason. No, it's not even reason. It's of course. God has given me his son. What else will he give me? Understand how, how sinful it is for Paul, for, for Paul to give thanks and to pray, to ask for these Colossians. And so for us to ask for these people in Fuqua Verena to be filled and that filling to have its fulfillment and words like joy and glory and fruitfulness and the knowledge of God, that become what you really look like. Now, th- th- that's the foliage, and I want you to get, I guess we could take the trunk, to understand what's going on here. He says, I pray that, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, later in the letter, he's going to get a lot of specifics in there about what it means to walk in a way pleasing to God and that there are counterfeits and there are distractions and, and um, people in Colossae believe in Jesus. They have repenting to do and stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But you just have to take this. You can please God. That's what it means to be alive in Christ. This, this really is the, the fulfillment of what Paul prays for, that you walk, and, and that's, that walk is the, the ordinary language for day-to-day life, the way you conduct yourself. He's praying that you be filled so that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That is the right thing to seek. That, I have to say, is realistic to think to seek, to be, that you would be able, in good conscience, not lying, not putting some weird religious spin on it, but say, I'm so glad I'm living in a way that pleases God. And I know there's temptation all over the place. Uh, Sin dwells in you. But that doesn't take the doesn't take the strength out of this. That, that, that phrase, fully pleasing, that can sound like a perfectionism. But fully with, with all devotion, with all, all real sincerity towards God. That's, that's behind the language that you're acting in a way to please him. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 who don't. So this call about fully pleasing God is not a perfectionism. It is a life where you are being shaped and built up by your Savior. And it is pleasing to him. It is pleasing to him to forgive you 
It is pleasing when you come and say, I was wrong, Lord. It's pleasing when you resist temptation. Temptation that, how to put it, um, it matched you perfectly. And you do what is loving and faithful. And really, this is the ambition. It is. I, I, I suspect that you might be like, man, if we talk that way, will we live up to that? Yeah, like, like, aren't we, like, I mean, isn't part of the reform thing that we don't really think we can do that? No. No. The reformed faith, in a historical sense, is the church coming, coming to grips or being gripped by the Bible's teaching of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's what this is. Start with what you got. Because God has given to you, and you expect, you seek. Lord, make it a lot. And very simply, that's, that's the fulfillment, that your life become actually pleasing to God. Now, how does that happen? Well, Paul says he prays that they be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as. The, this, this filling with knowledge has a result that you walk in a way that's pleasing to God. And, and what's that like? Look at the tree. Look at that, that, that vibrant strength. Heavy with, with, with fruit. Um, just becoming thicker and thicker. All of that comes from this filling. Oh wait, so I think we start with you empty? We're talking about God's work and the, the foliage of the, those indicators, those, those demonstrations that God has come to you who have nothing and given you his son, filling you. But, but, but look what he prays for. You, you know what would you pray for? You might pray that God would work in me. That, that's a right and stout prayer. Um, you might pray that the Spirit would fill me. Yes. Notice what Paul prays for. That you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritualism and understanding. Now, understand, the power of the Lord is in his word for us. So yes, he'll work. Pray for him to work strong in you. And understand that God works by his word. The Spirit uses that word. Filling certainly points to the, the Spirit's presence, and we're talking about spiritual wisdom and understanding, but, but he prays to be filled with the knowledge of his will. I'm thinking about this. Uh, someone's talking to you about their grandfather and just how much they love their grandfather, and you're like, oh, wow. How long do you know your grandfather? Like, like all your life? Actually, I never met my grandfather, but I've read his will. That would be weird. Like, you love him because you read his will? Because, like, you got a bunch? This language, the will of God, is different than increasing the knowledge of God. It is specifically not some, some, a prayer for some experience of intimacy and emotional response. He's not praying that your heart would get all something or other about God. He prays that you would have a knowledge 
of the specifics of the particulars of God's plans and intentions. He wants you to be filled up with a knowledge of why is it that the Son became a human being? What's going on that the Lord we worship came and did the obeying stuff? How is it? How is it that we who are, look, we know it, just, just prisoners. How is it that we actually end up cherishing the truth and living lives of love? What is God doing? What's his will? His pr- now, we tend to think of the will of the Lord as the rules, right? And that's part of it. God, God is rescuing the world by the work of his son, his son who came and worked out righteousness. And, and you know, you can put down the rules that describe that. And he's rescuing you and making you in his image. And so certainly you will conform to, to righteousness as Christ did. But no, it's much bigger. It is. This is how God is at work in the world. And he wants you to have a knowledge of that. What is God's big plan and undertaking? What is he doing? And if you have that, it will produce in your life walking worthy of the Lord, pleasing the Lord. Now, this is sort of an old-fashioned, sort of centuries-old thing that has fallen out of fashion, but it's just this case. It is the knowledge of what God has revealed about a salvation that makes people holy, that produces love and devotion. And, and notice, he, he wants you to have this knowledge in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And, and the phrase there, spiritual, he specifically means that which is worked out by the Holy Spirit. And, and that phrase is in contrast to what the idiots in Colossae are, are teaching about wisdom and understanding. But in, in Paul's phraseology, wisdom is understanding the big picture of how the world works. And if you have that you have an understanding to what do you do when your child suffers great disappointment? What do you do when your neighbor learns really bad news? What do you do when you discover intense jealousy in yourself for a friend? That what God's doing in the world, his, his will, his purposes, that he's working out in Jesus, that they really give to you an understanding of how the world works and how you can work in the world like Jesus. And he wants you to have that. He wants you to know. Because knowing that will change you and will produce, I think the right word for this, dignity. You may not be important. You, you may just be spending your day uh, as a bag boy at Harris Teeter. But your life becomes the substance of thankfulness to God, of being made like him, of living after him, actually pleasing him. 
there's a glory. No, you are not the living God. You have in his glory. You stand before him and you are like him. It gives you a dignity by learning. By learning. Now, I hope I'm stirring up your ambition. I hope I'm, because I'm, I'm, I'm simply laying out, here's what Paul prays for, for these Colossians who he'd never met, no more than he ever met any of you, but you believe in the Lord Jesus as they did, and this is the proper thing to pray for you and for you to seek. Not just long for, go after. And so that question, are you a good enough Christian? Well, you might go, well, obviously not, because look how Paul is asking for more from me. That's right. But if someone said you're a good enough, you, if someone said you're not a good enough Christian, the next thing would be, so go sit in the corner. You're not up for this. You know, you're just, you're, okay, you're a Christian, but not, not really big anything. That's a lie from the devil. If you're a Christian, then this ambition is right about you. Um, these little children, little children that you can hold in your arms, and like they don't, what, 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 um, they can't do math yet. They can't explain hardly anything yet. But we're right to look at that child and go, what will they be doing in the years to come? That, 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 that's ambition. Not because this person has it all, but look at that. The Father has given them life. And so this ambition really arises from the thankfulness. Those, those indications, they're indications of qualifications fulfilled. And, and Paul, he began this, this section by saying, I pray and give thanks, and I pray and I ask for these things for you in addition one of them is that it would well up in you a thankfulness to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Right there. He says to them, I'm praying because you don't have. And while you pursue what you don't have and seek it, what you're fundamentally going to discover is that you have the qualification that God has given to you. He has made you sufficient for this. And, and his first statement here is, it's about the future. Qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Um, to be crass, we could say, you're in. You got the heaven card. He, he, Paul says, because you've come to faith in Christ, you have a rightful claim on what God gives to his holy people in the time of the inheritance. Holy, the holy ones in light. That's going to happen. And because of your faith in Christ, you know that's mine too in the future. And, and thankfulness there, if God gives me that, then I should expect much, much more. But in the present, he has qualified you, not just for the future, Paul goes on, and notice how he shifts. 
He shifts from his prayer to these direct dogmatic statements. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the qualification. This is what you have. This is the, it's what I got. I want to make it a lot. This is what I got in my hands. So that you need to pray for more and you're right to think that I will seek and get it. He, and that's specifically the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. This language is so rich. You see the Father and the Son. Father's taking action, and what happens to you connects you with the Son. The action, he delivered us and transferred us from a domain of darkness into a kingdom of his son. The, the vocabulary here is the vocabulary of the day that was used to describe the exodus. If you were to, to read the Greek translation of exodus at that time, you would see this vocabulary. It's how they talked about the exodus, the defining event of Israel. You have been taken out of Egypt and brought into the promised land. From this domain to this kingdom, God has done this. No longer you are a citizen where you are a slave. No, you are a citizen where you are one of God's people. That is who you are. And, and delivered, might be better expressed, rescued. It really is. It's what you use for rescue. These people are under duress, under oppression, and we got them out. And we brought them into this kingdom. This is what God has done to you. You were under the domain of darkness. Now, the, the, the word domain there is used because we have this geographical description. But it's the same word that you'll see uh, in, uh, just below in, in verse 16 and in chapter 2 in verse 15, that is translated powers. Powers. And in the geographic realm, in the political realm, what it refers to is oppression. A, a social arrangement under a dictator. Under a power that controls. You, like all that you know, have been a natural citizen, part of a society oppressed by darkness. And that'll get filled out when we go through the letter. But God, as surely as when he brought the plagues against Egypt, has taken hold of you and rescued you and brought you out of that place of control that held you in dark and all all that should be hidden, brought you into the kingdom of his son. It is a kingdom. He is the Lord. It flourishes because he is the one who rules. And that's what's happened to you. That's, we talked about justification 
this is another angle on that. You have been brought out, transferred. That word transferred also, it's a word used in the Greek descriptions, of the Greek translations of the people being sent into exile. When the people were taken from Jerusalem and sent to Babylon, when the northern kingdom, they were, they were all packed up and sent off into the Assyrian Empire, moving whole people groups and determining their future. This is what God has done. No longer are you part of that domain. You're part of this kingdom. Now. Not in the future. Now. And, and so you have redemption. A word that's carries very little weight for us today. Redemption is the paying of the price to purchase someone out of slavery. It is the paying of a price whereby a person who is enslaved becomes a free man. You are no longer a slave to sin. Your sins are forgiven. What happens to you next in terms of cause and effect and the consequences of your life no longer will be determined by your sin and what it should produce. God forgives you. His wrath is set aside. What you expect rightly in his providence is that he will bless you. Will you sin? Yes. Will he correct? Yes, it's a blessing. Will you go through hardship? Yes. And he will bless you in that. This is what he's done. He's qualified you for the future. In the present, he has set you free from sin's ruling power over you. He has forgiven you so that there is no discouraging thing that comes from, I sinned. No, there's not. It's all forgiven. And what he has done, change the future, Changed your present. He has brought you to his son. Now I want you to think about it. Um, wow, Ben, we're part of God's kingdom. I don't think about kingdoms a lot, but I know that's a good thing. Let me see. Israel, well, they had a king later. But when Moses went to Pharaoh, God said, you go and tell him to set my firstborn son free, let my, my, that my son may serve me. So when they became a kingdom of priests at Mount Sinai, so they were a kingdom of priests and they were sons, and that did not turn out well. They flunked. God gave them the exodus and they flunked. David. David is actually called, in the Psalms, God's son. God takes him and treats him as his son. And David, the promises were, but David would, would bring the people together that, that there would be a wholeness after all the failure of judges. And that didn't work out because of David's sin. God loved him. But you've been brought into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's a bond, that's the, the strength, the reality of love from the Father to the Son. That's what's going on. That the Son 
is faithful. Where, where you failed, where Israel failed, where David failed, this kingdom is built on the righteousness, the actual faithfulness of the Son. Not only is this king, not only does this kingdom have righteousness, but it has a divine Savior. All about us, all about the people we know that would undo us. The Lord Jesus has overcome it. You are called to an ambition as a Christian to be stirred up and to pursue wherever you're starting from. And you have this reason not just to think this is realistic. You have this reason to start with thankfulness. I'm in need. There's stuff I want to achieve. And I'm going to begin with this thankfulness. I am no longer a slave. I have been brought under the saving authority of the Lord Jesus. Your calling, the way this letter works, is for you to be filled with a deep understanding of that, that that would make you actually walk like Jesus and have this kind of majesty and dignity. Pray with me. Father, oh, glorify your Son in our hearts. Please bless the conversations that these brothers and sisters have over this passage. Work in us that we would have an understanding and so thankfulness and that we would pursue living to please you. Pray in your son's name. Amen. I do not know what the next hymn is. 705? The same one as last week. We'll take that as a happy mistake. Number 705. Um, I know whom I have believed.
benediction of the living and true God. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Thank you.